book of James. We've been preaching through the Bible. We're in the book of James. In the 80s and 90s, let me set this up. In the 80s and 90s, there was this huge fad. It was a big flare in churches all over the place that we're going to be counselors now, and we're going to offer counseling. And there was a lot of good done there, so don't get me wrong. A lot of good done. One of the earliest pioneers in the field was a guy named Jay Adams. I think of him every time I read the book of James because he called the book of James the cosmic dentist. The reason why? Because you have to go there. But you know when you go there, you might get hurt. Now, I wrote this some time ago. We write our sermons quite early and uh, didn't know my dentist was going to be here today. So I said, this might be awkward. But visiting the, the book of James is a must. It will make you better. But the chances are you're going to get hurt somewhere in the process. It's, it's rather like Steve Wright, the com uh, comedian Stephen Wright, said he had a crush on his dental hygienist. So before he got his teeth cleaned, he would sit out in the parking lot and eat a box of Oreos. That way he got to spend more time with her. There are times whenever I hit the book of James that I feel like I've been in a parking lot eating Oreos and car caramels because he is going to work on me. But we got to go there. James was a leader among the Jewish Christians who made up the vast majority of Christians at this point. Very few Gentiles had joined the movement. And he was highly revered by the Jews. And so he was able to speak to them and not pull punches. You know, there are people that have a relationship with you that can say things to you that other people cannot say to you. James had that kind of relationship with the early Jewish believers. And remember that Christianity at this point, being almost all Jewish believers, was already suffering. Those believers had begun to scatter due to persecution and due to um, uh, the changing political scene. You can read about this in Acts chapters 15 and 21. We're not going to read that this morning, but I want you to have the citation up there in case you would like to have it. They were already being persecuted and driven out. So what words can we give to them? James' letter was the first one they got. It's a very early book. And he writes this letter to them to remind them how to their, their to con, this is very important, how they are to conduct themselves regardless of whether they're being persecuted or prospering. You don't change who you are regardless of whether you're being persecuted or prospering. There are 46 imperatives in this book. I'm going to ask you to do something because we live in wonderful times. You can do this. Go find the book of James online. Now, I know you've got a thousand versions of it. Get it online in any version you want and print off the book of James. Kill a tree, it's all right. As you print it off, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to hunt for the imperatives. That means do this, be this, act like this, think this. Imperatives. And highlight them. And you will be shocked at such a small book having so many imperatives. In fact, there are those that call it the book of Proverbs for the New Testament. And there's good reason to do so. A bit more background before we fly over this book at 20,000 feet. Some will quibble, but it's a good bet that James did write this book, and it was James, the brother of Jesus. So we'll just take that as, as said for now and move on. It's a very early book. How do we know? Well, it doesn't mention any other books. 
It doesn't quote any of the other Christian leaders. It does not refer to Paul or to the controversy with, with the Gentile believers. And that took up most of Paul's time. But that hadn't hit yet. This was really early. So you're getting back to the root of what it was like to be an early Christian. It's also a very Jewish book. It sounds Jewish. If you know the Old Testament, it sounds really Old Testament-y. And I know some of you, by the way, let me correct something here. Some of you may have been taught that the Old Testament was full of law and the New Testament is full of grace. People, the Old Testament is full of grace. The Old Testament is full of love. The Old Testament is full of it. When I say it sounds Old Testament-y, I mean it sounds like the Jews write with a, this is who we are, so this is who we should be. Now, Chris Hebert did a great job. Well, they all did a great job and uh, up here to, to lead. And I, I told Trace as he's walking back, you must be proud to have you and your sons do this and do such a great job. And, and Chris talked about your, your moral vision. And I, I, just, I was just thinking, then we sing a song, this is my story, this is my song. What story is your story? And are you going to live your story? No, this is who we are. We have decided this is who we are. We're living this story regardless of whether it makes people happy or sad. Salt or light, this is our story. It sounds a lot, this book does, like Old Testament wisdom literature. It's entirely concerned with practical, everyday life. There are those, by the way, and I I found several of them as I've studied James through the years, that'll say, there is no theology in James. It's all practical living. I'd submit to you that your theology should be practical. That your theology should direct practical living. So, what do you believe? And is that changing the way you live? In big ways and in small ways. Is it impacting, to use a terrible new word, verb form, the way you live? Let's take a look at it. Shall we? Chapter 1. What do you do in chapter 1? He says, ask God for wisdom during the trials of life. There's no false triumphalism here. There's no, ask God for wisdom and there will be no trials. He says, ask God for wisdom during the trials. That's really important. Because a lot of, I've had one person say, I tried Christianity for years. It didn't work. What he meant by that was, I still had problems. Well, yeah. Have you read about what happened to the apostles? None of them had a good, pleasant ending. Not even John. He didn't die uh, violently, but he didn't die well. Have you read of what happened to Jesus? You know, we have hints. We have crosses about the place. God doesn't say he's not going to let you have problems. He says, I'll be with you during the problems. That's a very different thing. I'll stand here with you. I'll walk through. I'll help you stand. There are trials that are going to hit every one of us, but people, we got a job to do, regardless of our trials. There are lessons to be learned, even from physical pain. There are lessons to be learned. People who are born, there are people born uh, without the ability to feel pain. As far as I can find in the medical records, none of them have lived past the age of 15. We need pain. Why did they die? because they were hurt and didn't know it. They bled out, not knowing they'd cut their foot as they were walking home. They they died of a ruptured appendix, not knowing that they did. 
they died of, of choking off blood supply to areas because they weren't sleeping in the right position and their body didn't tell them. We need pain. Pain is a message. Pain teaches us something. God's not going to take it away. He requires faith in him during the pain and stepping forward. Move on. Walk. The double-minded in chapter 1 need not apply. We are tightrope walkers. Now, I've never walked on a tightrope, so just work with me here. I'm assuming that if you're applying for the job of a tightrope walker, there are certain minimum requirements. Concentration, balance, and concentration. I'm assuming we've never had an ADHD tightrope walker. I'm not sure it can be done. And in chapter 1 of the book of James, he says, when you ask God for something, don't be double-minded. Don't be thinking, well, that's probably not going to happen. I don't know that he's going to help me. And I just, because he says that person's not going to get anything from God. You ever wondered why sometimes your prayers might fall back down for the ceiling? It might be because of your attitude. It just might be. I am, um, before I met Miss Cammy, I dated a girl, did not go well. Um, which I'm glad for now, obviously. Um, but th the problem was you couldn't compliment her. You could say, this is a lovely meal. She'd say, I burned this, didn't, this didn't go well. Your hair looks nice. Well, this is wrong with it. You know, your, your dress is, is nice. No, that's horrid. You know, this, uh, it was, I finally, I looked at her one day and I said, either you think I'm a terrible liar or what? I can't comp, and it, it, we weren't able to get past this. When you go to God, don't say, yes, God, uh, and, and you, you know you've got somebody sick, but you don't want to say heal them because you want to let God have an out. So you say, uh, bless them, be with them, be with the doctors. James says, stop it. What do you want? He says, you don't get because you don't ask. Go up and talk to God, but don't be double-minded about it. There are lures that grab our attention and snag us, dragging us away from our best intentions. And he talks about that here too. There are different lures for different people. And I know I have some friends who have been addicted to drugs. Uh, it's never been a temptation for me. The idea of whatever's living up here, let's poke it with a stick. No, no, no. Uh, that's, it, it might not go back to sleep. There are, uh, but those of you that are tempted by that are not lesser than me. I have different temptations. I grew up as a legalist and I'm still a recovering legalist. I disapprove of 12 things a day just to keep in practice. I have to watch my judgmentalism. I have, to, I have other temptations I'm not going to share with you right now in case your temptation is that of being a gossip. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to keep that a little quiet for the now, shall we? But whatever it is, James is saying, is that luring you away from God? Is it keeping your focus off of God? Unlike, unlike us, God is not distracted. He does not wander away. And James stresses the utter reliability of God. Let's look at James chapter 1, a passage there. Christian living encapsulated. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, you should be writing this down. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Well, there, we've solved a lot of problems, haven't we? But we have killed the 24-7 news channels. The Navajo have an expression, you learn through the years, not the mouth. Isn't that a great expression? You learn through the years, not the mouth. 
I've heard other people say, uh, well, Marshall Keeble, who preached in this very church, said God wouldn't have given you two ears and one mouth unless he wanted you to do quite twice as much listening as speaking. Everyone should take, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do you have buttons? Get rid of them. Get rid of them. I've had people say, what are your pet peeves? I don't think of that. I don't sit around going, you know what really annoys me? There were times, people, I didn't have pet peeves. I had full kennels of frustration. <laughs> you can change. And you can decide, no, I'm, not, I'm just not going to be angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Why don't we get angry? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't help. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, people, number, one of the number one industries in the United States is the weight loss industry. We all know, eat less, move more. Uh, give me a pill. Give me a gym membership. Yeah, I had a gym membership for a year, but evidently you have to go. So uh, anyway, if you, if you want to run, you have to practice for months ahead of time. You don't just start. The, it's that whole thing. We know, but we go, no, 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 Can we do something else? Do it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, some of us have help in that. I was talking to some of my sweet ladies over here this morning that uh, back in the day in Detroit, we had three services. And so the first one, I would leave home and it was still very dark long before sunup because the first one started at eight and I had to be there by seven. So I'd get there, but that meant Miss Cammie because she came to the third service so we could go off and have lunch together. Uh, she didn't see what I'd put on. That sometimes didn't go well. Because I was dressing in the dark. Well, frankly, if I was dressing in the light, it wouldn't have been any better. There have been times I've come out of my closet and, and she's looked at me and she goes, are you wearing that? And I thought, what an odd question. You know, we only have one reality per, oh, <laughs> no, no, I just put this on as a joke. <laughs> then you go back in the closet and you're going, all right, where did I go wrong? What's that? I hated it when Sears quit the Garanimals thing because I was able to, to match. Anyway, look in the mirror. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues, continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet, do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. People, I don't subscribe to Brotherhood Publications. I have no interest in theological arguments on the internet. Why? Because sometimes we don't use our tongues, we become keyboard commandos, and that's a sin too. Keep a tight rein. Religion that, our, that God, our Father, accepts. Ooh, that would be very important. All right, we want the religion that God the Father accepts, right? Everybody in the room, exactly. You're not going to raise your hands, your churches of Christ. Got it. Accepts as pure and faultless as this. Look after the orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
James drops the mic. That is amazing. That's it. What if you were being trying to, you know, somebody, you wanted to be a preacher. You wanted to be a preacher for a church. And they said, well, what's your, what's your philosophy of religion? And that's all you said. You have a hard time getting hired. But that's all God wants. Chapter 2. By the way, I know you're doing the math right now. We're not going to spend that much time on the others. Right? Chapter 2. Prejudice and discrimination goes against everything the Lord taught us. Period. No excuses. If you are prejudiced toward others, whether that be political party, race, finance, what, I don't care what it is, you end up rejecting the very ones God chose and loved. We're not to discriminate actively, but people were also not supposed to discriminate passively. That's the have a nice day discrimination where we smile and, oh, it's good to see you, but we never engage, we never develop the personal relationship because they're other. Maybe we don't even admit that to ourselves, but it's there. And so James says this, faith without works is dead. You call them brother, treat them like a brother, act like they're a brother, live with them like a brother. You say you believe in Jesus, act like it. Now, I know that faith alone has been taught by many, many, many churches, but the only time in the scripture where the phrase faith alone occurs is in James chapter 2, and he says we are not saved by faith alone. Now, does that mean we're saved by works? Nope. We're saved by the kind of faith that produces works, though. Changes things. Faith without works is dead. You remember what I told you? God's called you to the dance, but he called you there to dance not to sit. Like Abraham and Rahab, our faith might put us in peril. It might inconvenience us. But if it's not changing us, it is not faith. If your faith is not changing, don't tell me, it changed me. What is it doing to you today? If your faith is not changing you, it's not faith. Chapter 3, what about the tongue? I love Marshall Keeble's other thing about the tongue. He said if, the, if God didn't think the tongue was so dangerous, he wouldn't have put a cage of teeth around it. It so easily gets out of control. Do you know why? Because the tongue reveals who you are. Sometimes you can bump into something, something happened, and a bad thing comes out, and you're going, ooh, that just slipped out. Oh, here's a fact of the universe. Something cannot slip out unless it's first in. You call somebody a racial name or you call somebody a, a curse word or you use a derogatory term about somebody, that got in before it got out. There's a man and woman came in to me for counseling which shows their lack of judgment right there. This is back when I hadn't announced I don't do that anymore. But he, sitting there, she's a beautiful woman. She's sitting there crying and he's talking about all of her faults. None of them were faults. She's just a person. And then he called her a name. Now, you might not have noticed this because you're sitting far in the back, but I'm not far away. I'm not big. But I still slammed my hand on the desk and got up. And he was big, <laughs> muscle guy. He went to the gym. And he, but he looked at me a little bit, like, you know, kind of blinked. And I said, who gave you that word? And he froze a bit. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, that word, the word you just used for her, who gave you that word? And he said, well, and he tried to say, well, she was doing, I said, no, 
I have no interest in anything else right now. You got there, the English language has more words than any other language. In fact, we have twice as many words as the language in number two. Out of all those words, you chose that one. Who gave you that word? And we started talking about who he'd been listening to. James says, it reveals who you are. Argumentative, bitter, corrupt, grudge-holding, it'll come out. It reveals who you are. As an old man once told me, he says, we cannot cut people open to see who they are. We have to wait and see what comes out. Your tongue. Spiritual gut check time here, by the way. And a word of praise. I, um, I've worked with, oh, I don't know how many, scores and scores and scores of elderships all over Breton, Canada, U.S. Many, 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 most, almost all, were very authoritarian and they like to make decisions. Read James 3. Let's get that up here. James 3, can we put it up there? Thanks. Who is wise and understanding among you? All right, we want our wisest people to be shepherds, right? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. Stop right there. The humility that comes from wisdom. That's not what we, we don't normally put those two things together, do we? Ooh, that's a smart guy. You better call him very smart words and be very deferential. No, hang on. Humility that comes from wisdom. Most of science is finding out what we don't know. Not finding it out, but finding out we really didn't know what we thought we knew. But if you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Now think about it. Who would boast about it? People do. Well, that person hurt me, and they were very wrong. You've heard of righteous indignation? There is no such thing. If you're indignant, that's not righteous. Quit bragging. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, no bad motives, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. Does that look like a lot of boards that you've seen? Our shepherds, I think of our shepherds every time I read that. Fourth Avenue has been blessed by Almighty God with men who do not feel like they know it all and need to ride herd on you, but are praying for you and trying to serve you. You need to pray for them. Give them a hug. Don't give me one. I'm not a shepherd. I'm a sheepdog. We don't hug. <laughs> By appointment. Uh, anyway, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Wow. In chapter 4, we face a constant danger, church. And I want, I want to talk to teens here. It took me years to learn this. And I, I just want to give it to you. The world is so much better at evangelizing us than we are at evangelizing it. And we just, we just need to, don't, no falseness here saying, well, then we just need to be better. Stop it. 
Just be aware, we're outnumbered here. We're outmaneuvered, we're outspent. So what are you going to do? You, you, can't, you cannot turn back the, the, the plows of this world that are coming at you, the, the, um, the snowstorms of the world. What you can do is decide who you're going to be during it. But the world is so much better at evangelizing us than we are at evangelizing it. So recognize that and take precautions. James, the people James are writing here are fighting because they don't have the stuff they want. They don't have the position they want. They don't have the power they want. They don't have the group they want. Does that sound familiar? It's, it's all, every generation, it's always that way. And he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask for stuff to spend it on yourselves. You don't ask for things for the kingdom of God. You have settled for too little. I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to come over here again, guys. I'm not preaching at you. I hope you understand that. Uh, sometimes your parents will tell you you want too much, and I would disagree. I think all of us, not just you, all of us, settle for too little. I think we do. We want love, we settle for sex. We want happiness, we settle for money. We want meaning, we settle for a promotion. C.S. Lewis said, we are children playing with mud and rocks in a cardboard box when God has offered us a house by the ocean. Look at chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, stop it. Christians, by the way, if you're not a Christian and just trying us out right now, you might be surprised at this, but most of the time, Christians don't go around judging non-Christians. But sometimes they do go around judging other Christians. That's got to stop. Got to stop. Who are we to judge? It's a good question. A better translation of that is do not speak against each other. Not just a brother. Do not speak against each other. Just don't be a part of it. If other people are doing it, walk away. Don't judge them either. Just don't participate. Be the person that does not participate. Remember this, he says, life is but a vapor. Don't be earthbound. We're already leaving the planet. You're already leaving here, already soaring. So don't be tied to this thing. It's so easy to get tied to this thing. I saw somebody yesterday with a gadget. My first thought was, I don't know what that is, but I think I'd like one. I'm as bad as you are. Worse. We have to make sure we're not, and I caught myself going, and I, and I laughed at myself thinking, earthbound again. Watch yourself, Patrick. Chapter five, by the way. Break from this earth by prayer. Right, Brother Albert? Prayer, confession, fasting, and work toward the healing of others. James 5. James 5, verses 13 through 18, our last passage today. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. By the way, that oil was, no, there's no special magical property in the oil. That was their medicine of the day. He just says, let the elders come take care of you. Make sure the church takes care of their sick. 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Please remember the story of Lazarus here. He is not promising we will cure all diseases. What he is saying is, this story ends well for you. This story ends well. Do you remember Jesus turned to his apostles and says, this will not end in death. Lazarus died, but that wasn't the end. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I love that story, by the way, because Elijah, after three years, decides to pray for rain, and he's up there praying, and he's got a, he's got a runner, right? Look to see if there are any clouds yet. And the runner runs, uh, no, no clouds. All right, keeps praying, look again. Guy goes out, and finally a guy comes back, and he goes, well, there is a cloud, but it's just like the size of a man's hand. And he turns to him, and he goes, run. He had faith, the rain's coming. Be rooted in prayer. James was nicknamed Camel Knees because of his habit of kneeling in prayer. It was so powerful, he got calluses. Mark's going to lead us in the final song here in just a minute. Would you stand with me, please? James says, you say you believe. Well, you've done well, but then he adds, even the demons believe and tremble, and they're not saved. Faith alone is not what God wants. He wants the dance. He wants the engagement. He wants changed lives. He wants new outlooks. Light bulb jokes come in and out of fashion all the time. And the reason is because we all realize change is difficult. We all do. And so we'll do change jokes. You know, how many, uh, I don't, we'll pick a religion. How many Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? Three, one to change it, two to say they like the old one better. You know, that sort of thing. How many Church of Christ people does it take to change a light bulb? Change? What do you mean change? We don't need to change. Uh, there are, <laughs> we all were, were terrified of change, but God tells us change. James says, what about the change? A change that flows out of real living faith. Our charge is this, church. We believe let us show our faith by our works. Amen, church?